The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Call it the rising. Fear over rising rates and rising taxes raising its head on Wall Street. But could a little talked about piece of economic data give some fuel back into the market's fire? Wall Street continuing to grapple with the Archegos meltdown as one big bank putting a price tag on what the true cost of losses may be, and you have got to hear the number. President Biden preparing to lay out a multi-trillion dollar new spending bill, most of it focused on infrastructure, but tax hikes coming with it. And will he have to build bridges even within his own party to get it passed? Say so long to the office, the major companies that are becoming the latest to look to unload some big blocks of real estate. And as always, your morning RBI and why you may want to book that vacation now or pay the price later. It is Wednesday, March 31st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Yeah, that RBI a little more interesting. If you want to go, go somewhere, go, go. Anyway, good. Yeah, good morning. I'll just go back to bed. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. You'll like the RBI, especially, I think, if you're planning a trip later on this year. All right, so much to do on this busy Wednesday. By the way, it's not just all that we said. There's also an OPEC technical meeting ahead of their main meeting tomorrow. We'll get more on that. Well, tomorrow. Anyway, here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their Wednesday. Futures are mixed, but as you can see, well, I'll tell you, no huge moves either way right now. Dow futures down 40, NASDAQ futures up 18. This after the Dow fell more than 100 points on Tuesday, slipping from its record levels. The S&P and NASDAQ also down fractionally. Well, stocks are set to wrap up a rocky March. Today is the final day of the month and the quarter. The Dow, the big winner, up nearly 7%. Big monthly move as many of you rotate out of so-called growth stocks, technology, work from home, whatever you want to call it, and into more cyclical and so-called reopening plays. The NASDAQ up nearly 4% on the month, while the, oh, which, which market fell? The S&P up 4%. My bad. It's early. The NASDAQ down more than 1%. There you go. Well, bonds a big part of the story. A 10-year Treasury yield hitting a 14-month high of 1.77%. Right now, it is slightly below that level. All right, quick trip around the globe. Take about 30 seconds. You got fractional losses across Asia. The Nikkei down the most, but still under 1%. Similar story in Europe. More red on the screen than green, but the losses are pretty minimized. Just a couple of tenths of 1% for their major markets. All right, new this morning. More on President Biden's official rollout of his massive infrastructure spending plan coming later on today, as well as some growing new concerns about the tax hikes that might come with it. 
Bertha Coombs has more on that and this morning's other top headlines. And she is with us now. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Brian. The president is heading to Pittsburgh today to unveil the first in a two-part economic recovery proposal. That first portion is expected to overhaul this country's infrastructure and manufacturing systems, while the second leg of the plan will involve big investments in health and child care. To pay for the likely multi-trillion dollar price tag, President Biden is expected to push to raise the corporate tax rate from 21 percent to 28 percent and force multinational corporations to pay significantly more in taxes to the U.S. on profits they earn overseas. Meanwhile, the fallout over the Archegos capital meltdown continues to mount as Wall Street tallies its losses. J.P. Morgan now upping its estimates for total losses by banks at the center of it all from two to five billion to five to 10 billion, calling those losses very material. Meantime, Reuters is reporting that U.S. and British regulators have been in discussions with market players to determine the full extent of the fallout from the default on Archegos' equity swap positions. And ballot reviews will continue today in that union election at Amazon's warehouse in Alabama. The process of going through the ballot sent to the more than 58,000 workers at the facility is expected to take days and likely spark legal challenges. Ahead of that vote, Amazon had been discouraging efforts by the retail, wholesale and department store union to become the first ever to organize one of the retail giants facilities in the U.S. It's going to be one to watch, Brian. Yeah, it certainly will be, Bertha Coombs, as well as those sizable losses for the Archegos trades gone bad. Bertha, thank you very much. All right, well, many start to worry about the bad news of potentially higher taxes. Here is some good news about the macro economy. And this one comes courtesy of the New York Federal Reserve, and it's little talked about weekly economic indicators, or as we call it, WEI, because we're friends. It's an index of 10 different daily or weekly economic, you know, indicators like electricity output, steel production, fuel sales, and even a consumer survey. And the latest numbers are out, and they are booming. That weekly WEI coming in over 4%. That's that big spike on the right side of your screen. And that is one of the biggest jumps in readings ever, as big or bigger than the best week coming out of the financial crisis. A very good economic sign all in all. So can an economy clearly on the upswing overcome concerns about higher rates, inflation, and potentially higher taxes? From Willis Spring in now, Catherine Faddis, founder and CEO of Grace Capital. Uh, Catherine, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, Obviously, listen, uh, there's no doubt the economy is on the upswing. Stocks have responded. I guess the big question is, how much of the stock move the last six to nine months is already pricing in the kind of economic moves we're starting to see now. Uh, Good morning, Brian. Thank you for having me. I I will argue that it's pricing in a lot of it. But look, the market has been stretched for years. Okay, market was up in 2019, 30%, 2020, 18%. This is with a pandemic, with all the things going on. So growth stocks, value stocks, the market is not low. Not okay. Very nice choice of words. Not low. Does that mean too high or kind of like the middle porridge, Catherine? Well, 
You know, my crystal ball broke on the way here. I, I would argue on the high side, but what do I know? Been, been saying this for a while, and it just seems to keep going up. Look at look what happened with IPOs. It's been a very healthy, even with a little bit of a, a NASDAQ meltdown the past few weeks, still had very healthy IPO. <laughs> so there's a lot going on. All right. We have a, a by the way, Catherine, throw, throw this out there. We have a, a quarterly survey at CNBC where we like to, you know, survey a contributor, strategist, folks like yourself that are running money. And we ask them what the most crowded trade might be in the markets. Forty one percent said Bitcoin. Thirty two percent said big tech. Obviously, the numbers don't add up to 100. Twenty one cyclicals and six percent small caps. Would you agree? I mean, big tech, Bitcoin, just. I don't know if most crowded means too crowded, but there you go. I would agree with Bitcoin, no question. Big tech, I am not sure about. I think to say that the overall market, overall market is high. Big tech at least has growth characteristics. These are, you know, we're using more and more of technology. Everything you use, you have to go in and pay Silicon Valley their little tax. Okay, I'm talking getting on Google, using your phone, your, the cloud, everything, everyone working uh, remotely, you're using big tech. So at the very least, I think big tech, you're seeing growth to go with it. The rest of the market, materials, financials, energy, I'm not so sure. All right, Catherine, I want to ask you about the big market story the last few days, Archegos. And I'm only asking because a little birdie, i.e. My, my notes on the interview, tell me that you and your fund own Discovery. Obviously, Friday, not a good day for you. Uh, your take on the macro situation, and maybe are you buying Discovery on the weakness, a 27% drop in one day on Friday? We're buying, we, we added a little bit to the Discovery position. Again, the backdrop is it, it was brutal what happened on Friday. It was absolutely did not really know what was going on. There was no news. You're calling the company saying what is going on. Same thing happened with Viacom. Eventually you find out it's because of Archegos. That's a nightmare. I mean, I don't know where else it's legal to put eight different mortgages on the same house. That's what you have with the swaps market. Um, the investment banks got nailed on it. Um, Nomura, it looks like Nomura is going to lose half of their year's profits from this. Credit Suisse. Yep. Goldman Sachs. So it's, it's been a disaster. I think that's well said. Eight different mortgages on the same house, which, by the way, people used to do. But now you're talking in the swaps market on stocks. It's, uh, we're always doomed to make the same mistakes, at least kind of similar ones, if not exactly the same. Catherine Faddis, Grace Capital. Catherine, a real pleasure to have you on. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Brian. All right. You're welcome. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, because we are just getting going, your morning's big money movers and what has investors howling over shares of Chewy. Plus, just who are all these new retail traders who've come rocking and rolling into the stock market? Well, Investopedia knows. And Caleb Silver here to peel back the curtain on the next generation. And then Boeing's rebound continuing to take off as it finalizes another sale of its planes. All in all, a very busy hour. Worldwide Exchange rolls on right after this.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back. Seems like a good time to hit three of your big money stock movers right now. And let's call this a spaghetti western trio of stocks because it is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Stock number one, Chewy, the pet company rallying, reporting its first quarterly profit and more than $2 billion in sales. Chewy benefiting for the boost in online shopping and pet ownership during the pandemic. It added nearly 6 million customers last year. Stock number two, Lululemon. Stretchy pants sales, rock solid. Fourth quarter results beating forecast. The retail projecting first quarter results above analyst estimates, but it is warning about more potential supply chain issues. Remember all the container stories we've done? There you go. And stock number three, BlackBerry. Yep, BlackBerry. Revenue missing estimates, even as the company says sales of its car software are improving. BlackBerry, of course, one of the meme stocks caught up in the Reddit trading frenzy earlier this year. Shares are down about 5.5% today, but they're still up nicely on the year, about 30%. All right, take a short break. When we come back, for those looking to rock, one major music festival may have a solution in the pandemic era. What it may take to see some of your favorite bands in person. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Well, this is a question that many in the market have been asking recently. Just who are all these new stock traders brought out by the Reddit Rebellion and Stimmies? That is slang for stimulus checks that many received. Well, Investopedia knows because they've been asking them and about them and where they're getting their strategies and also how they've done in the markets. Caleb Silver is editor-in-chief of Investopedia, and he joins us now. Caleb, good to see you again. You guys digging in. So, you know, we've got to got this mental image of who these people are, sort of maybe the 27-year-old, you know, quick-talking, fast-moving behind a computer screen, but... Is that right? Who are all these new retail investors? Well, that surprised us, Brian. And this is not your nephew home from college playing video games, trading stocks in the basement, yelling at your sister for more meatloaf. These are folks largely in Gen X 
and a little bit older who have been putting money to work for the last year and teaching themselves how to trade stocks. So we were surprised by that. As you know, we've been surveying our audience all year about what they're doing, how they're feeling, what they're buying, their sentiment. And we wanted to find out who this new crop was because we know millions of traders came into the market. A lot of these folks are our age, middle age, a little bit older. A lot of them are trading mm. stocks for the first time. They're self-taught and they're trading pretty frequently, Brian. It was very surprising to us. You know, this is amazing, too, because I was actually digging into it. This is off topic, Caleb, but related to student loan debt and who really owes the most money, because we picture this as a young person's story. Every time we do a story on student loan debt, we show like a 24-year-old. The majority of debt, the biggest chunks, are owned by geezers like us, like a 42, 45-year-old person, probably with an advanced degree. That's who owns the biggest slices of debt. It looks like these retail traders. Heck, maybe they're some of the same people. We've got to stop referring to them sort of as... The, the newbies, they might not be that new. They might just be guys that got out 10 years ago that are, that are jumping back in. Right. Men and women, and they're jumping back in, investing sometimes for the first time and teaching themselves, by and large, how to do it. A lot of these folks were self-taught. 75% said they were self-taught. A lot of them said they'd learned some web from websites. Thank you, CNBC. Thank you, Investopedia. A lot of them are learning from books. So this is not necessarily a have Reddit, teach me how to trade crowd. These are folks who are trying to educate themselves do it themselves. Maybe they're out of work. Maybe they had time on their hands over the past year during the pandemic, but they brought themselves in as market participants and they're teaching themselves to trade and they're turning over their portfolios pretty frequently, which means they're trading frequently, although it doesn't look like they're risking too much money. And a lot of them, Brian, have said that they've done pretty well. Okay. How well? We know how how much they've made or lost. Sure. We asked them, how much have you made? Have you up this year? Are you down this year? About 85% said that they were up this year. Now, of course, everybody likes to brag when they're up. So we don't know that for oh, sure. Yeah. We're not looking into their portfolios. But this is an honest crowd. Our, the Investopedia readers, they come to us to learn and, and they've been truthful with us all year. So a lot of them say they're up for the year, but they're not risking that much money. A lot of them are risking maybe less than $50,000 in a portfolio. The trades that they're making are frequent, but they're only trading a few stocks here and there. And their favorites, Brian, even though they might be an older crowd, are still some of the meme stocks, if you believe it. Oh, yeah, they're so honest. Like when the doctor asks you, you know, Mr. Silver, how many glasses of wine do you have a week? Uh, two at most, M- maybe. Uh, let's talk about the stocks they like to to. Maybe that's just my answer. Uh, let's talk about the stocks they like. Is it still all about... Tesla and GameStop. Sure. Those are their two favorites. They actually they have some regret about Tesla not buying it in 2020 or not buying it frequently enough in 2020 on the dips. GameStop, obviously, because the gains were so intense and it was so volatile. It was an easy trade to get in and, uh, and out of, but not an easy one to make money on. But they're also, and this is consistent with what we've heard all year from our larger audience, they like the big mega cap tech stocks. They think that Tesla, they think that Amazon and Apple have the best prospects this year. Of course, those three stocks have had their troubles in 2021. But these are folks new to the market. They know the big names. They know the big names that are out there on CNBC that they read about on our site, too. And they're sticking with those. Yeah, great stuff there. Really surprised. You know, I love Caleb, you and I are Gen Xers. You know, we're like the smallest generation in history. I like we're getting some play. And some of these finally a little forgotten about Gen X stuck in the middle. Nobody cares. Caleb Silver, you care. And we care that you're on. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you, Brian. Me, too. I care. All right. Let's get now to some of the headlines outside of the world of money and business. For that, NBC's Philip Menes in New York with more, and he cares. Philip, good morning. 
I do care, Brian. Good morning. A Republican Florida congressman and ardent Trump supporter Matt Gates is denying an explosive report in The New York Times. It says the Justice Department is investigating him over, quote, whether he had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old and paid for her to travel with him. The article goes on to say the investigation was opened in the final months of the Trump administration under Attorney General William Barr. Well, last night, during an interview with Tucker Carlson, Gates denied those accusations while leveling some of his own. It is a horrible allegation, and it is a lie. The New York Times is running a story that I have traveled with a 17-year-old woman, and that is verifiably false. People can look at my travel records and see that that is not the case. What is happening is an extortion of me and my family involving a former Department of Justice official. The FBI and the Department of Justice were so concerned about this attempted extortion of a member of Congress that they asked my dad to wear a wire, which he did with the former Department of Justice official. Tonight, I am demanding that the Department of Justice and the FBI release the audio recordings that were made under their supervision and at their direction, which will prove my innocence. No charges have been brought against Congressman Gates, and the Justice Department has declined to comment. New York State is giving the green light to legalizing marijuana. Lawmakers in the State House and Senate jointly passed that legislation yesterday. And in a statement overnight, Governor Andrew Cuomo said that he's looking forward to signing the bill into law. Legal sales could follow as early as next year for adults 21 and up. The state is expecting this to bring in a lot of green, up to $350 million a year in tax revenue. Finally, Tampa Bay's celebration of its second Super Bowl still hasn't stopped. Bucks head coach Bruce Arians has permanently commemorated his team's victory with a tattoo. He said he, he would get inked in when his Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, and true to his word, there it is. It's got the Buccaneers logo, the final score of the game, and of course that coveted Lombardi trophy that he hoisted up last month in their home stadium. Brian, it's something you can only kind of get away with if it's your first or second one at the helm. You know, Brady, Tom Brady couldn't do that. He ended up looking like Dennis Rodman after all of his. They're what, seven? Something like that, You know, he should have gotten another tattoo, Philip. Yeah, because you know know where Bruce Arians went to college? Virginia Tech. The Virginia Tech Hokies. Should have gotten a blue and orange turkey. Yeah. Just like like me. I like the colors and the logo. I always had. You know, they got they had some good players come out of there. Bruce Smith, Michael Vick. They got a good legacy. Hold on. Well, I can't do it because I'm chained to my mic. I've got my my Bruce Smith signed jersey right here and a couple posters. I'm going to ship you some maroon and orange, Philip. My I thought you were about to show, show me your fail. I thought you were about to show me your Virginia Tech tattoo for a second somewhere. Oh my God! <laughs> That's no. what I thought you were going with that. The memorabilia is cool too, That's though. We'll later. Say that. All right, buddy. Philip Mena, Hokie swag coming your way soon, my friend. Thank you. I like you. it. All right. All right. Tried to get up and I failed. All right. Still to come as we round the corner, President Biden wants to build bridges, literally, and spend trillions to do it. But will even some blue state reps in Congress go for the higher taxes that have to come with it? And if you have not already, and who hasn't, subscribe to our podcast called Worldwide Exchange on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and other apps. And do not miss tonight a CNBC special, CNBC's Race and Opportunity, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, looking at the economic and social challenges facing the Asian American community amid a rise in violence against it and the potential solutions moving forward. A very special special tonight at 8 p.m. Do not miss that. We're back right after this.
trillions in infrastructure spending and tax hikes to go with it. The president set to roll out details on his infrastructure plan today. And companies and high-income families are going to be on the financial hook. But will blue state Democrats go along with it? Moving out, J.P. Morgan, Salesforce, apparently joined the growing list of companies ditching more office space amid the rise of the remote work lifestyle. And your morning RBI goes sky high. And why, if you're some of the millions getting ready to travel, you might want to book that trip now, as in yesterday. It is Wednesday, March 31st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back and good morning. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick check on the market before we dive into everything else. We are seeing stock futures mixed and not a big move in either direction for either of them. Dow futures down about 30. NASDAQ futures up 13. This after a little bit of weakness yesterday coming off a record high. It's, by the way, final day of the month, final day of the quarter. Been a darn good month for the Dow. Dow's up 9%, one of its better months in a long, long time. A little bit of weakness yesterday, but overall these these cyclical, industrial, sort of big old names, many considered boring, they've been doing well. Yields, they're a part of the story. They've been on the move. They're a little lower right now in the 10-year, 174, whatever, but they were up to 177 yesterday. And speaking of yields, we've got another quarterly CNBC survey on what many pros think is going to happen with yields. This one, the 10-year, 62% saying above 2% by the end of the year, 38% below 2%. And 0%, they didn't maybe survey our friend Scott Minard, says below 1%, 62, 38, carry the one. Yep, that's 100%. There you go. So two out of three think we're going above 2%. Well, that is where yields are heading. Let's talk about where many of you may be heading, at least when it comes to work and whether or not you're going to be back in an office if you're not already. Bertha Coombs is back now with those headlines and more. Bertha. Yeah, Ryan, you don't have to put away the yoga pants quite yet at some firms. J.P. Morgan, Salesforce, and PricewaterhouseCoopers are reportedly the latest major companies looking to get rid of big chunks of office space as more workers go remote. Now, the Wall Street Journal notes because big firms normally sign long-term office leases, the only option is to try to sublease floors to other tenants. Meantime, Wells Fargo plans to bring people back to the office in September. In a memo, the bank told workers the firm believes, quote, most of us benefit by being physically together. And Alaska Air is buying another 23 737-9 MAX planes from Boeing. The news comes just a day after Southwest announced it was buying 100 new MAX jets. They are back, Brian. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, too, Bertha. We talk about returning to work. I've got friends of mine in, like, South Carolina and Texas that never have not gone to an office. It's kind of like we, we really forget there's some people. And, by the way, there's some people like truckers and medical personnel. They've never missed a day yeah, inside obviously. their workforce, whether, which might be in the, the cab of a tractor-trailer truck. And thanks to them. Bertha, we'll see you in a few minutes. All right. Now to your top story. President Biden said to unveil his plan to overthrow U.S. infrastructure and social capital today. The president will travel to Pittsburgh to announce the first of what he hopes are two sweeping new economic recovery proposals. And the White House expected to push corporate tax hikes 
and higher taxes on higher income families to try to cover at least some of the costs. Let's talk more now about this with Jimmy Petakoukas, American Enterprise Institute policy analyst, CNBC contributor. Jimmy has a lot to unpack here. Uh, trillions in new spending, some of it on just roads and bridges, some of it on on child care and things like free community college. Does he have the support of even blue staters who no doubt house, like New Jersey, a lot of the families that are going to end up paying higher taxes because of this? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a great point to remember. Uh, how we pay for this is going to be important. Uh, you already have some pushback by Democrats who, who, who are worried that, you know, blue state, blue state families, a lot of them upper middle class families are going to bear the brunt uh, for paying for this package. So this is not going to be like these uh, sort of other pandemic relief bills where Democrats are you know, basically completely unified in what to do because it was pretty easy. It was just about spending money. When you have to start thinking hard about how to pay for it, assuming you're, we're still going to pay for some of this, uh, those decisions become a lot harder, which is why, you know, what I've been talking to people, what I've been stressing is that uh, this is going to be harder. It's going to be sort of a, a, a bloodier political fight. And we shouldn't just naturally assume all this happens just the way that President Biden will outline later today. Well, these are big numbers. I wonder, do we have any idea how they got to these numbers? I mean, listen, American infrastructure stinks. We've talked about this for years, Jimmy. I've been talking about this for 20 years. I mean, D minus on roads and bridges, potholes, hubcaps, they still make them flying off cars. It costs more to repair your car than to pay slightly more in gas taxes, but nobody wants to do that. But how do you, how do we come up with the three trillion? Like, where does that number come from? Do we know? Well, my, my concern with these kind of bills always is when the politicians start talking about all the jobs it will create. Uh, that's really not how you should do these bills, figure out how many jobs we, we would like to create over the next 10 years. It's really to look at the kinds of projects that are going to give us, that are going to give us the biggest return. Uh, how those projects are picked probably shouldn't really be done uh, from Washington by the White House. They should probably be done at the local level. Ideally, a lot of the funding would really be better if done at the local level. But I realize that's, that's sort of where we're at in American politics, where it's going to be Washington going to b- borrow a lot of money, some tax increases, and a lot of corrections are going to be uh, uh, sort of top down. But what I would not do is take the most apocalyptic estimates from, say, civil engineer trade groups and say that's how much infrastructure, uh, infrastructure investment we need. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about how to pay for it. You know, we, we in New Jersey have something called tolls, right? And, you know, they, they, they seem to never go down. They go up. That pays for some of it. And I know the president's going to talk about, you know, corporate taxes and higher in, you know, higher taxes on other people. Right. Most people don't make a lot of money. So he's going to say we're going to go after the money. Let's just talk about the money because the money's not there. And that's not my opinion. Let's just go through this tax foundation thinks we'll make about $300 billion in government receipts from corporate taxes. So if you raise it from 21 to 28, 7% jump, let's call 7% jump on 300. So $21 billion more per year in corporate taxes. Three and a half percent of American households make more than $400,000. Most of those are, are not much more than that. They're kind of like in the five or 600,000 range. So maybe you make, I don't know, 30 billion more a year, which is a lot of money, but not when you're spending $400 billion more a year. I mean, that, that's just the math. Where's the rest come from? Or is it just deficit spending? Uh, bingo. <laughs> it's it's going to be the defi- deficit spending. I hit bingo? Uh, first, 
Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of deficit spending. Listen, this deficit, if we're going to pass anything like that, that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, part, as you said, even paying partially for this is going to be difficult because Democrats do not want to raise taxes. Frankly, Republicans don't either. They don't want to raise taxes at anyone. They need to be broadly considered the middle class. And if you were really going to do this, uh, you would you would probably be raising taxes on those people, whether it's you have higher whether it's higher gas taxes, some sort of congestion fees, vehicle mileage taxes, a consumption tax. All those options would raise taxes on a lot more people. And it's also profoundly weird to be worried about we're not investing enough in the United States and then be really fairly sharply raising corporate taxes, uh, you know, at, certainly as compared to you know other rich countries. Well, listen, middle class tax hikes are going to, to your point, are going to have to come in some form, whether they're direct tax increases like, hey, you got to pay more or a mileage tax, higher gas tax or just a higher tax of higher costs. I want to get you back on to talk about this very soon, Jimmy, because I I love the idea of fixing up our infrastructure. As our viewers know, I've been I've been on panels. I've spoken to members of Congress about it. I just wonder if we're going to have the workers to do it. That's another issue for another day. Jimmy P. Point. Thank you, buddy. Take care. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Good combo there. But, folks, do the numbers. There's just not a lot of money out there on the top end. All right. Volkswagen getting a little too excited for April Fool's Day. Details one of your top trending stories on a boo-boo by the Volkswagen PR department. All right, welcome back. Time now for your daily vaccination update. These numbers are taken from the CDC's COVID data tracking site. They're available to, to all of you. Check them out. I'm, as you know, I'm, I'm, on there pretty, I'm kind of living there these days. All right. As of yesterday, more than 189 million vaccine doses have been delivered. We don't care about that. We care about 147 administered. 96 million have had at least one dose. 53.5 million fully vaccinated In fact, that is about 21% of the U.S. adult population, a majority of those over 65. By the way, by far and away, the highest risk category, thankfully, been vaccinated. You know, and we say that and you think, what are they talking about? I'll give you another stat, which I don't want to bring you. 34% of all fatalities from COVID have occurred in just 1% or less the population. And that is those who reside or work, primarily reside in nursing homes. Think about that. Less than 1%, 34% of all mortalities, vaccines have taken that number down 96%. That is some very good news. All right, now to the most random but interesting thing you're going to hear today. And that is if you're going to travel this year, you might want to book that trip right now. I mean now. Because interest and demand for going somewhere, particularly flying, is really, you know, taking off. And so are prices, at least to some locations. Data Trek Research studied the very popular New York City to Orlando, Florida air route for a few weeks. They checked the same weeks of travel about a month ago and then again about a few days ago. And they found that airfares are going up, up, up. Look at this. The average price change is according to Data Trek for some trips to Orlando from New York versus three weeks ago. Price is up 69% from three weeks ago. Same flights, up 22% from Labor Day. You want to travel over Thanksgiving? Prices up 61% in just three weeks. Christmas, not as bad as Turkey Day, but still overall, and it's a longer way out, but Christmas week airfare is already up 17%. Folks, it's March. Well, almost April. That is just one route. No doubt 
airfares are going to go up for others as well. Number of reasons. Number one, the number of planes is still down, right? You got airs, planes that have been taken out of service, even as the number of people that want to get on those planes is going up. And by the way, let us know what you see. If you're booking a flight, if you notice prices changing, love to hear from you. And here's a little bonus RBI on the topic. The number of people going through TSA checkpoints at U.S. airports was 1.4 million on Monday. That marked the 19th day in a row that more than 1 million people got on a plane in the United States. My hunch, just a hunch, is that Tuesday will make it 20 in a row. Vaccine passports for a music festival, burritos and Bitcoin, and a drive-by April Fool's joke that kind of fell flat. Bertha Coombs here now with today's top trending stories. Bertha. That's right, Brian. One of the biggest live music events in the UK will be going forward and vaccine passports will likely be required for attendance. The Twin Reading and Leeds music festivals are still scheduled to happen in August and the organizer telling the BBC that attendees will, quote, almost certainly have to provide proof they've been vaccinated. The the festival is already sold out. And Thursday is National Burrito Day, and Chipotle is hoping customers will cash in on crypto with their cilantro rice. The chain announcing it is dropping a burritos or Bitcoin game on Thursday, where they will ultimately give away $100,000 in free burritos and another $100,000 in Bitcoin. The game will be a play on users having forgotten their Bitcoin password, and each player has a chance to win up to $25,000 in Bitcoin, or even better, a free burrito. And, you know, tomorrow is April Fool's Day. Volkswagen, it turns out here in the U.S., admitting that the alleged name change to Volkswagen was just an April Fool's joke. The news had appeared to be leaked on Monday, and when the company was pressed for comment by media outlets, including CNBC, Sources apparently lied to several reporters. Imagine that. Volkswagen confirming late Tuesday out of Germany that the remain the renaming was in the spirit of April Fool's Day as a promotion for their new electric SUV. You know, the funny thing is I reported on this story for our uh, streaming news service, NBC News Now, and Joe Fryer, the anchor, went, hmm, did they really? He really was on it. (laughs) He nailed it. I I find the story shocking in many ways, Bertha. I guess Uh, the the problem was that, see what I did there? It was released a day early, (laughs) right? It would have been kind of more obvious. And then don't lie to reporters about it because somebody, I don't know, sent out a fax or whatever on Monday, Volkswagen. Like, it it was fine. It was just, like most things, it's all in the timing. Yeah, they were, you know, I don't know if they released it early or they did that part on purpose, but certainly, certainly got a lot of folks talking. To be fair, we just did a whole segment on it. I haven't, we haven't talked about Volkswagen in a long time, so maybe they're winning. Maybe. maybe. Hashtag winning. No bad press, I guess. Bertha Coombs. Bertha Coombs at her new Volkswagen (laughs) Passat. No, Bertha, thank you very much. (laughs) All right, on a much more serious note and new this morning, a group of dozens of prominent black business leaders are now joining forces to call on companies to try to fight voting rights bills in at least 43 states, including Georgia. 
campaign is being led by former American Express CEO Ken Chenault and Merck CEO Ken Frazier and includes an open letter published in the New York Times today. It was signed by 72 black executives. Chenault and Frazier will join Squawk Box to talk more about it in an interview you can't miss, 7.30 a.m. Eastern today. All right, on deck. Laffer Tangler Investments, Nancy Tangler, lays out why she says potential for tax hikes to pay for infrastructure are not yet factored into the market. What will happen when they are? We'll talk more about it with Nancy. Dow futures down 40. Stick around. Back now to the markets and our CNBC quarterly stock report, where we ask many pros about what they expect for the next three months. And from that report, which is the biggest threat to the stock market? Well, the results, 47% say higher rates are the biggest risk. 29% say another COVID wave. 24% say higher taxes. Again, it's, it's not necessarily going to equal 100, but there you go. Joining us now with reaction to more is Laffer Tangler Investments Chief Investment Officer, Nancy Tangler. Nancy, thank you very much for joining us. Would you agree with that? Is it is it higher rates the biggest risk or would it be something else or maybe not on that list to you? Yeah, so I think the higher rates part. Good morning, Brian. Sorry. Very good morning. Uh, the higher rates portion good of this morning. argument is a little bit um, is, is a little bit disingenuous. I mean, we're at a 10 year that is still well below levels we saw in 2018 and certainly well below where we were in 1999, 2000 at 6.5% on the 10-year when, when technology and the whole market melted down. So I think for me that the risk is that we're not paying enough attention uh, to what higher tax rates may do, not just to corporations, but also to individuals at the margin. I mean, one of the things that's made us so bullish on the consumer is that we have had super low interest rates uh, inflation is low, energy prices were muted, and now that's starting to turn and the transfer payments are likely for the most part over. So we're watching all of this uh, and, and wondering in many aspects how it's going to impact the companies that we own. Yeah, and it, you know, there's a couple things about corporate taxes, and I'm sure a lot of people don't feel sorry for giant multinational corporations whose founders or CEOs are making tens of billions or hundreds. I, I get that. I get the public sentiment. Been hearing it for 25 years. But let's be clear, corporations don't really pay taxes, right? They do, but they just pass it through on either lower salaries, higher prices of goods, either here or overseas, or some other. They just transfer whatever they're going to pay. They're going right. to remove it from somewhere else. And that might come out of earnings. And maybe the majority of Americans don't care because they want companies to pay more. Again, I get it. But we're a stock market show. And from the market's perspective, that could be a hit to earnings. It could. It also could be a hit to your job. Let's be clear about that, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you go back and look in, in uh, the late 70s, I mean, I was actually alive and cognizant when we had that last big bout of uh, stagflation. Uh, it was the last time we saw it. And it was ugly. You know, CPI was 15 percent. The Fed funds rate was at 20 percent. And many employees were uh, had COLAs, uh, cost of living increases, in their collective bargaining agreement. Sixty percent of those with a collective bargaining agreement had a COLA. And so as inflation rose, they, they got automatic increases and the unit labor costs hit 10 percent. What I think is different this yeah. time is that though um, corporate taxes will at the margin hurt earnings, there's labor slack. And so we'll probably see muted unit labor costs. And that's that's the sort of um, 
shine, shine, you know, the, the bright spot in this otherwise potentially difficult situation, uh, as companies are reshoring and spending on CapEx, that may really drive a product, productivity-led growth in the economy that we haven't seen since the 1990s. So that's the mitigating factor, Brian. And that's great news, right? Yes. We got to make sure there are the jobs. You talked about that, Nancy. Firms can't find people. There's still, we forget, six and a half million open jobs in the United States right now. Unemployment's probably going to be below 4% in a year to a year and a half at this rate. Basically, back to statistical full employment, labor costs might nudge up a bit. but, But that said, it was a lot easier to raise taxes on companies when you couldn't just move five guys to a post office box in Dublin and call that your tax home. That, that's the problem. It's the global nature of the markets. It's not that we don't want companies to, quote, do their fair share. It's just that, man, it, it's tough. And once it, how companies end up managing through this, assume Congress gets a, a tax increase through, should be very interesting to watch. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think I think the market's just sort of waiting and seeing. And um, this is a time to reposition. There are a number of, of industries that will actually benefit if some of the proposals that are being floated are are instituted. And, you know, I'm talking about the R&D um, uh, tax credit being delayed, you know, the, the expensing in year one uh, instead of over five years. That'll benefit companies that are spending on R&D and CapEx. So think defense, think pharma, think technology. So there, there, is some, there are some bright spots, but it, it is something that we need to pay attention to. Well, I guess the good news is, Nancy, is that the market's pretty aware of the president's intentions from a corporate tax perspective. That probably might even, gosh, get some bipartisan support. Who knows? The, the income taxes might be different because some blue staters, a couple of them yesterday coming out and saying, according to reports, until you repeal that deduction cap right. on state and local taxes, we're not going to because blue states are the ones that get hit by higher taxes on wealthy people because wealthy people tend to live on the coast because they like water views and and wind turbines. So <laughs> there's a lot of things that the market is has managed to power through, though, Nancy. I will say that as a positive. It's not like the market's collapsed on these headlines. Absolutely. No, totally agree. I think we're in the early stages of the bull market, but but be prepared for a pullback or a or, or meaningful correction. And that will actually be healthy. That will clear out the rubble. Um, you know, I spend half my time in Lake Tahoe and we have controlled burns on the Nevada side of, of uh, the state line. But in California, they don't do that. And um, that, that can generate wildfires. So we want to see a controlled burn pull back, and then a move up. But I'm not pessimistic at all, Brian. I just think this is something the market's not paying attention to fully. Well, it's going to have to, and we've got a big talk coming from the president today in Pittsburgh. Nancy Tangler. Nancy, a pleasure to have you on. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. You too. And folks, wow, it's amazing how much we pack into one hour. Great team effort, everybody. Thank you, and thank you for watching Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.